Welcome to the Working Dog Depot podcast with your hosts, Rich Harden and Howard Young. Howard Young, how's it going there? Very well. How about you? Well, you know, recovering from the cold snap in the snow, you know, negative eight in Louisville was probably the lowest we've had in a long, long time. And everything was froze up. It, it really just sucked. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty brutal here. Definitely not what we're accustomed to in North Carolina. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's always, you know, we have some snow and cold here, but we're definitely not accustomed to it. It shows. Uh, we we typically get at least one ice storm, which we didn't get any of that through this this past cold snap. But the weather was uncomfortable. We pretty much stayed in. Nice. Well, that's smart place to be. Well, ha- have you recovered from Philadelphia? I have. It was a great experience, and I know you you agree. It was definitely energizing. It's also an exhausting thing to do to go spend you know three days of and I. Really appreciate the fact that you were there and we did we were able to do it together because, man, when you're the, the sole person, it is tough, tough. It's a lot when you have help like we did. You know, people, I, my wife, when I talked about it at length when I got back and she said, well, why are you guys so tired? I said, well, you know, every <laughs> every per you had 25 teams or so, 26 teams. And, you know, every person that steps up there, you're giving them every bit of you for that right. moment. You know, that's your time. It's it, over time. It just it's exhausting, especially right. three days in a row, you know, a couple of different reps for different dogs. And it's a great experience. A bunch of great guys up there in Philadelphia, the hard workers, everybody jumped in. Well, got, you know, shout out to Angela for for having us up there. It was an awesome time. Great experience. And the uh, the great Philly cheesesteak debate may be still going on. That may be the best conversations we had without a doubt that was the <laughs> most entertaining thing that i've seen in a long time i, I felt like i was on a sitcom uh, yeah just wait you know, somebody jump out and tell yeah, us to, we to listen to all these guys talk about their different you know steak uh, cheese steak places and for me personally never had one but didn't have a bad one when i was there so i you know i still have no uh no argument with me it was all delicious sure but i didn't realize there's a cheesesteak for every occasion yeah, a- yeah absolutely uh, apparently there is for drinking beer, uh, yeah. <laughs> for uh, dinner, yeah. <laughs> but they yeah, were all yeah. good. I had a great time. It was a uh, oh, uh, look. Look forward to going back. So today we have a gentleman that I've known of. I've actually talked to him or communicated with him a few times over the years through Messenger, and realized that we have some friends in common, which has been you know the, the crux of our conversation. But I had the pleasure of meeting him this past summer at a seminar and. and Evan, I'm afraid I can't remember which one it was, whether it was Blue Line or it was Blue Line, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Blue Line. Okay. So without further ado, we have Evan Nolte with us. Hey, Evan, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Not so bad. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Been on my list for a while as we've been looking for folks, and I just thought it would be really cool to have you on. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've listened to, I think I've listened to most of them. Still listening to the last one right now. Uh, I think it's an awesome show. You may be one of but a dozen. (laughs) (laughs) There's literally dozens of us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I would, you know, we, you and I have never met, so I'd like to to find out a little bit about your background. How did you get into what you're doing? You know, kind of start from there and 
And where are you going now that you said uh, you've been uh, out of the military for about a year now? And yeah. Tell us and tell yeah. us what's uh, new on the horizon for you. I, I was in the Army for 14 years, and I was medically retired last September. Yes, mm-hmm. just over a year now, which I feel like the year went by exceptionally fast as well. I can relate to that. But I, so I was an animal care specialist, and then so I was in the provided the Army is the only branch of the military that has like veterinary medical support. And every every branch uses dogs, though. And that's how I met, you know, Mitch. Was Mitch episode one? Actually, yeah, well, he was our first guest. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so that, I met him when he was a handler for the Navy. I was in Virginia. Uh, but I ultimately spent about 10 of my 14 years at Fort Lewis. And then I was assigned to the first Special Forces Group dog kennel for, like, I think, eight, eight years. Eight wow. years and then, uh, you know, kind of a unique career experience where I, for about 10 out of the 14 years, I worked independently of a veterinarian for the most part, you know, like independent duty corpsman, and then I was uh, supporting the special operations multipurpose cannon program almost exclusively for you know, the majority of that time. So I got a lot of, you know, you guys were talking about thousands of reps, training dogs and stuff, and seeing thousands of dogs. So I had a very, very specific job, and there aren't many of us in the military that got that kind of experience. So, you know, just overall, a lot of kind of that medical med experience for, um, you know, cause I went out, went out with the guys every day while they trained. And that's just something I ended up really enjoying, you know, cause for the most part, uh, you know, medics of any variety, you just kind of sit around and wait for something bad to happen. You know, like you're not doing your own kind of training. Um, so doing the dog stuff, you know, I get to learn, see a lot of awesome, cool stuff happen, ask, ask guys like Mitch questions. And, uh, I thought it was really fascinating. So I was pretty lucky that I got to do that for, for almost all of my 14 years. That is very cool. That is a very unique experience. You don't you don't see that in any other branch, you know. Uh, no, and then even within you know my MOS, there's not you know there's not there's not very many, uh, not very many people that served in the special operations community or um, even less that kind of did for the duration that I did, as well as you know I ended up deploying uh, with the infantry detector dogs as well as a tour with first group where I was taken out on missions. So a lot more of the kind of point of injury care, like stuff that you do, taking care of the dogs when the injuries occur, and then also getting them to a vet clinic. Very cool. Very cool. So that experience gave you, you know, obviously that's an awesome experience, but so you, so you leave and, and how does that, or how are you trying to transition that to, to the world now? Honestly, I could come up with a plan very confidently, but I, really still figuring it out. I did, I like we were talking about earlier, I had the benefit of as a you know, kind of wounded warrior of the Special Operations Care Coalition. So I did the six month internship. And then through, because uh, I created like a social, I, I really didn't have social media while I was active duty. And then one of my med boards started, I started like, you know, I got on Instagram and all that other awesome stuff. <laughs> and through there, kind of met, you know, like Christina from Cannons of Valor, and who asked kind of like, well, what do you think for, in terms of like nonprofits supporting canine units? Because a lot of them, you know, they buy toys and stuff. And I was of the opinion um, a lot of dog, dog handlers can buy their own Kongs. But, you know, you could fill kind of those organizational gaps learning as I left the Army that the law enforcement canine in particular and search and rescue really don't have the same organizational support or funding or any of that. You know, like <clears throat> it's changing a lot, I think, and it has changed a lot in the, the last few years. But law enforcement officers not even having first aid kits right. on them. 
So then just kind of have been had the benefit and privilege of teaching a bunch, being invited to teach places like meeting at Blue Line, and so other like uh, the American Tactical Canine Association seminar. Right. That's where I saw that's where I saw Ben last, which was a lot of fun. Um, so mm-hmm. some of those annual events, and then started my own company, uh, Paravet Canine, and so like I'm teaching at the Erie County Law Enforcement Academy next month. So three days of courses, do one day class, be able to train in like 45 handlers over those three days. Wow. What, that, hey, Chris, uh, going to make you busy. We just talked about how, you know, Howard and I were tired, just <laughs> working, you know, bouncing stuff back and forth. Or do you have any help when you're doing that? Because that's, uh, I, I got to imagine that's a, a labor intensive moment for each handler figuring out what you're doing. Yeah. And I, um, I don't, I do, depending on the course. That's why I personally, I'll limit the courses to like 15 handlers max a day. So everybody can get, because when, oh, you, yeah. you know, we kind of have the, the, you know, training, a lot of dog training, you know, bite work, decoy. Like there isn't a lot of equipment involved. So that's one of the, the biggest challenges is hauling around the mannequin. But the TSA, I mean, I get it because the dog looks like a dog. Under x-ray, it looks like a dog with a bunch of wire, like a bomb inside the dog. So there's always like taking the mannequin dog through TSA. I've collected at least two dozen of those. Your bag was inspected. I mean, it's just oh, like yeah. inspected at this point. And then also, you know, it takes a lot more to reset in between. So getting getting all the, the officers, because my goal is, you know, we, everyone feels a lot more confident. They've gotten every, they've got enough repetition, hands-on practice. Because I was, I think that was one of the last parts I was listening to in the, the most recent podcast you guys did, was you're talking about the, uh, we always say the classroom, talking about theory or, or talking about it all day long. But with most of, you know, medical interventions, no different than shooting. It's all muscle memory based, actually. Uh, we can talk about putting on a tourniquet or you can read a post on the internet, but actually practicing doing it and on a real life sort of responsive, some of these like training aids are getting a lot more advanced. You can probably see the diesel dog and I use the North American rescue one. So when you actually tighten down that, that uh, circumferential dressing to stop the bleeding on the mannequin dog, you're the one stopping the bleeding. It's not uh, an instructor kind of saying, okay, good. Now the bleeding has stopped. Right. And you, I'm sure you set up scenarios that, that uh, create a lot of chaos and and really put the handlers under stress, uh, which is going to, you know, that's going to be a stressful situation for them. So they need to experience how how this is really going to work. And I know the mannequins I've, I've seen firsthand, they're pretty, pretty lifelike and a lot of uh, they can utter a lot of sounds and noises that you can get them to, to generate. Pretty cool. Yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, the whining is a big one. You can see that bothering everybody. Mm-hmm. Keep the dog whining through the thing or, or when they start uh, growling. And yeah, it is like, it is kind of, it looks, call it the Thunderdome. I mean, that's uh, just kind of the training I was used to and exposed to from the units I was able to serve serve in or support. It seemed kind of leaving that, and I don't know if it's so much the case anymore, but that kind of training was out of reach for just you know people outside of those units. But it's really not. And it's just, there's a lot of kind of applied stress I mean, there's a method to the madness. You're trying to achieve certain training objectives. It's just not chaos for chaos sake or like running around yelling. But then it's actually getting reps in uh, with the material you would use and the environment that you'll be in with some of the simulated effects. I think that's really what prepares you as much as you can for the real life event is is that kind of training. Back up a little bit for, for folks that are listening that may not know is that you actually have a very life life size, realistic looking 
what, what what's the term that you would use for it? I think on the bag. That's what gets me because it says it on the bag every time the TSA opens the business. It's canine medical simulation mannequin. So a lot of medics or nurses, the, the uh, like there's the Tom mannequin, which is the uh, kind of the human version. A lot of medics, nurses train on this lifelike human doll simulator. So it's kind of the dog version of that. Right. And it produces a blood-like material, and you can program it to do a variety of different things that replicate real wounds. Yeah. Yeah, it bleeds, simulates breathing. It doesn't move on its own. It's not going anywhere yet. Uh, right. And um, like you can do a needle chest decompression, stop the bleeding, various various places to bleed, simulate gunshot wounds, stabbing wounds. And, right. um, and you can do things like there's airway management for the dog, but I don't, you know, because I focus a lot now on teaching canine officers because they're ultimately nine times out of 10 going to be their dog's first responder and waiting 15 minutes for EMS to show up is probably not going to work out in the dog's favor. So I forgot where I was going with that. I was medically retired for TBI, you know, no. that's so every no. often mid-sentence, I'll forget where I was going. But no. uh, I focus primarily on training canine officers, so I think I take a little bit more of a different approach than if you're training other medics or veterinary personnel. Sure. Well, I can tell you from my personal experience, and I don't know how Rich feels or what his experience was, but I can say that over the years that I've instructed, that is one large gap that we have. Obviously, that's not my wheelhouse. And uh, honestly, it's been a huge gap. Yeah. As a, as a cannon officer, you know, back in the 90s, we got nothing. You know, the, the emergency vet, we got their number. We're on our way as fast as we can get there. You know, sure. that's, that was the, the plan of action back then. And, and I don't think, Evan, you can speak to this way better than I can, but people don't realize that, you know, just calming the dog just or, or getting control of a dog that's injured or hurt is a whole lot more problematic than a person because you can't talk the dog into anything. You can't say, hey, man, I'm here to help you. He still thinks you're trying to hurt him. Yeah, I think it is. It's, it's like dogs do one of two things, really. They're either surprisingly compliant or they're not at all, not even a little bit. And the more, I mean, you guys, the more you, the oppositional reflex, the more you ramp up on them, the more they're going to ramp up on you, the faster they're going to potentially bleed out or re-injure themselves. And so that's one of the challenging parts with these dogs, which also, you know, makes them such an entertaining part of my, like my 14-year military career is just also those unique challenges that without the experience doing it, it's really hard to try to, um, I think sometimes we're even that gap between there's a veter- veterinary personnel doing training. They're used to working in a veterinary hospital, you know, like that video circulating on the internet where they have the dog on his back and they're pushing the ball out. Yeah. Um, they're in a hospital, that dog's sedated. I think they have like four people in the room trying to do that uh, dog by yourself, even with another person, that dog's unsedated is, you know, good, good luck with a majority of patrol trained dogs. Sure. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I just would imagine that the likelihood of getting bitten is pretty high in, in a lot of situations. Yeah. I mean, my, uh, my counterpart at the Ranger Battalion, he lost the lower, lower part of his ear, oh. um, which is funny now because like I would, I haven't seen him in a while, but um, after it happened, you know, I just kind of end up staring you're trying to talk to him and maintain eye contact, but you just end up looking to the right because his ears just, <laughs> just gone. Start not to focus on it. Yeah, because you know dogs don't know. People anthropomorphize. We we talked about this a few times on the on the show that you know the people humanize an animal, and you just can't talk them into "I'm here to help you." They don't get that either. Like you said, they're going to be overly compliant because they're just scared and locked up, or 
they're going to try to kill you over it because they just don't understand. And that's the the latter obviously is very hard to help. You know, getting a dog in muzzle, securing him. That's not those are not easy things to do. Yeah, I would say probably the most progressive thing that we've managed to do has been for the guys to get kits. And you know, I don't know how up to date they sh- most of those kits are pretty up to date because they've only they've had them you know less than a year or two. But the reality is, is they need to be checked on a regular basis. You know, I don't know how often that would need to take place, but I would think at least yearly they would need to be you know gone through by someone that knows what needs to be in there because who knows what happens with those kits. This episode of the Working Dog Depot podcast is brought to you by our title sponsor, Fox and Hound. Fox and Hound has spent years creating the perfect formulas that are safe for our pups and contain many natural ingredients. They develop the highest quality products for all dogs and products for all dog lovers and their homes. Products range from scented candles to dog shampoo, flea and tick spray, stain remover, paw balm, and dog cologne. They've even developed a line for working dogs and their handlers. For you folks who are required to wear a vest while on duty, you should check out their vest spray. Folks, the Young Home has Fox and Hound products in every room. For me, it's really quite simple. The products are great, and they're made by great people. Order online at shopfoxandhound.com or follow an order on Instagram at shopfoxandhound. For a 15% discount, use the WDDP discount code. Remember, man's best friend deserves dog's best products. That's a good, you know, that's something good to bring up. There's, you know, I know in Kentucky, Evan, there every, there's a lot of small agencies that have no funding for anything. You know, some of these guys have started their own canine units, you know, with support from their police departments, but they just have limited resources. And what would be a good kit or if they're trying to put stuff together, you know, what should they actually focus on instead of buying all this tactical stuff that people, you, you paint it black and say, this is my tactical medical kit. But you yeah. know, what, what, what do you really truly need? So I have a list of Canon IFAC contents or individual first aid kit, and they're largely based off like the individual individual first aid kit or IFAC contents that like the military issues to, uh, you know, basically every soldier that's deploying or in the field. It's a somewhat long list. You can find it online as well as if you need kits, Canines of Valor donates dust off canine kits which I have everything, you know, uh, Brady at Dustoff Canines and other, he's a uh, special operations dog handler and a medic. And so they're, they're not, there's not as much as you may think. That's one thing, you know, you get a lot of these donated kits sometimes from vet clinics and they're well-intentioned, but they're just these giant bags of not a lot of helpful, like a, like a hard plastic splint. Chances are you're not going to need that in the field or you can just get them to where you need to go. Uh, but really the gauze, you always run out of gauze first in most, right. especially massive hemorrhage type things. Gauze, ace wrap, like four inch, two, four inch ace wrap. The ace wrap works to create pressure dressings, and actually, the ace wrap will work as a tourniquet on a dog leg. Um, you don't need windless style tourniquets, don't work on dogs. And, um, you know, you can buy, they have various canine specific products, but you don't need them. Just using a dollar fifty ace bandage. I've, mm. I've used it, it works. Actually, speaking of making videos, I'm going to, try to do that to show some of those things some more then yeah. chest seals chest seals will work on dogs depends though if they have if they have a coat like howard's beard then you may not get the chest seal to work that grand never had to try it on a dog with a longer coated dog but the average dutch mal and, and shepherd german shepherd coat a sticky halo hyphen chest seal will work and then you also want some 14 gauge needles for decompressing bloat in particular decompressing the stomach if it's indicated for gdv and then, you know, needle chest decompression 
if you're if you're trained. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's the, the the key right there if you're trained, right? So. Yeah, and that's it's kind of a that's becomes true because you know honestly, like there's even I've asked like ethically, I'm I may have one interaction with a, a canine law enforcement officer, and if I go over, you know, chest decompression, you know, and, and the unfortunate event he needs to use it, what's the likelihood it, you know, he's really had that many reps or the last time he thought about it or did it, but um, there's some unique anatomical differences in dogs where both their lungs can collapse from like a single uh, penetrating trauma to the chest because they don't always have two separate lung compartments. So at least giving them some familiarity with if, if the outcome, worst case scenario, your dog can't breathe, he's gonna, you're not going to make it to that. You can't really make that worse by attempting a, a needle chest decompression, even if uh, the last time you talked about it or saw it was a year ago. You uh, mentioned Brady. I was, did a workshop or seminar last year with Jim O'Brien at yeah. NCK9 LLC and Brady. So the, the three of us actually partnered together yeah, at, Jim, at Jim's place. And uh, my back was still a wreck, but it was a great experience. I felt like I, I wasn't able to participate to the extent that I would have liked to, but I, I obviously got to take a lot in. I probably got more out of it than than I gave, but it was a good experience. So Brady set up some of those scenarios with with the mannequin and yeah. the, you know those strobe lights and loud music and smog smog machine or smoke machine. It was uh, it was a good experience. I think that everybody participated. I think initially some folks kind of hung back, but they you know they succumbed to the peer pressure and got in there and <laughs> participated. That's uh, well, one of my favorite things because how uh, you will see some of them like they're they're nervous because they can like they heard about it or they've seen clips of it and it just seems like really but then so but afterwards like oh there really wasn't that bad and like no right it's not. yeah well again like, you're not going to get those reps unless you get in there and do it yeah well what's a typical course uh evan that you you teach what's it what's it look like how's it structured i teach usually either a one or a two-day course so in like you got the one in your accounting coming up i've actually kind of liked this idea because i have a big training group a lot of handlers in the area they only really could do a one-day course for both like time off and funding. So uh, I teach a one-day course three days in a row, and that way, you know, people on different shifts can come. Usually, the, the most people after they're doing the one-day course, and Brady's had the same experiences. Actually, would prefer the two-day course because the it's more or less the same setup. It's kind of like that you know crawl, walk, run principle of, of training. The first part is usually the the lecture, which is the worst part for everyone involved, including me. So we go over just some of that baseline information in the PowerPoint and pictures, and then go from there into tabletop practice. So having the mannequins and other training aids kind of on a tabletop gather around, everybody starts practicing some of those different techniques and interventions, uh, you know, in static position. And then into uh, the scenarios where I, I start throwing down uh, different, the mannequin, different scenarios with the uh, added stress and then uh, kind of build. I, I have a, a kind of a, a way I do it every time that builds upon each the one the one previously. So I'm not just you know like throwing 18 injuries at them with the first first round. But for the the one day class, try to get through everything as quickly as possible to then really focus on scenarios. But best case scenario, mostly especially a 10 to 15 hander class is going to get you know two maybe three reps for each scenario. Uh, whereas in the two day class, then we have we do the second day just all scenarios. So cool. Hey, well, I wanted to mention a couple folks that we have in common. I know that you've been out to California and met with the uh, the folks, Service Dog Chase. Oh, yeah. Jack, 
yes they have been really gracious to us and have you know invited us to come out there to visit and i i think we're going to take them up on it my wife is just completely enamored with jackson and and what they have done to just give that young man everything that you know he needs to be a to, to be a really good citizen and it's just been really rewarding to watch and um you know, we both have a, a history or she still actually still does work in special education. So she frequently sees students who don't get the services they need or all that they need. I shouldn't say that they don't get the services. They get all the services that a school environment can provide. But there's so much more outside of that that, you know, that families don't take advantage of. And uh, just to see the the life experiences that he's getting and and the young man that he's becoming is just, you know, it's it's very touching. And I, I could tell that that had a, it's had a profound effect on you as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, we played uh, Lego Worlds. So it's like playing Lego on Nintendo right. before Christmas. And then uh, also I'll be going back for his birthday again in April. That's awesome. Um, yeah. That's the yeah. plan. So if you go out there, the Jackapalooza, Jack's birthday, is always yeah. a fantastic event. <laughs> Sounds interesting. I'm feeling a little left out here. I've not uh, that I've not followed that one. I'm so t- for our listeners to be as ignorant as I am. Tell us a little bit about this. What's going on with the? Uh, we said Chase the service dog. So obviously he has a service uh, dog. So it's, uh, Jack. He's a uh, he's got a service dog named Chase. Jack has autism. Huge fan of Lego. I mean, I met him from his mom, uh, and I mean, I know his parents. But I'm not just randomly friends with a. I think is he ten now? Eight, I think so. somewhere between eight. I think he might have. I think he might have turned. Anyway, so because he was worried about Chase, like if Chase was injured, you know, what he wanted to know what he should do. That was something he he started worrying about. So we went on video chat, and I just like walked him through some basic kind of bandaging stuff, all the way up to even he, because then he actually made videos that he posted on the internet uh, where he was explaining like you know, uh, chest putting a chest seal on a dog. And he's really, I mean, he's a super intelligent kid. So I think we would spend like half an hour to hours talking on video chat like this. And then he would just go make a canine first aid video. <laughs> so, and retain, so he's already got theory and application together. Yeah. 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 Basically retain everything that we talked about and explain it very well. So again, this is one of those connections, though, when you think about how big this world is. And then you think about how small the, the canine community is, is that. I think uh, I had conversation with Josh, Josh Morton, and yeah. uh, made mention of his vest, and he made a vest for, yeah. for Chase, and I know that they are they're very appreciative of it because he makes an incredible vest. He does, and now, like the impressive thing is, I think Joshua learned all that stuff and just like taught himself. Right. They're in Amish country, Iowa. Just. Uh, but yeah, that's because I've seen it. They really like that vest. That's an awesome vest. Yeah, we actually have one of those for our dog. So you've so you knew both of those, Mitch and Josh, when they were when they were in the yeah. Navy. Yeah. Interesting. So were they were they hard to teach back then as well too? Yeah. Yeah, they were. <laughs> so I, especially I was uh you know I was I think it was twenty twenty two twenty twenty three twenty four. So I was a, I was a kid, really an army kid, showing up at this Navy Steel kennel. I remember that was the first thing I learned about Josh, Joshua, Morty, was uh, he really liked king-sized Reese's peanut butter cups. 
because somebody had got him some and he was super excited for like a team meeting and then he sneezed. So I said, bless you. And then he just got really serious. And then I immediately got nervous because I'm like, oh, good. You know, it's like day one. But he was just he was just messing with me that uh, we're saying bless you after he sneezed. And then with Mitch, we were down in the kennels. I think I was helping squeegee him out or something. And I forgot because I've messed with people like this before. Uh, he either he saw one of my tattoos and to mess with me was like, does that say white power? And I just kept <laughs> a straight face. So I looked at him and said, yeah. And then he got really awkward. He was like, oh, oh, no. Like I was just messing with the new guy and great. He's he's a Nazi. And then and then I was like, I should say something, but I didn't. And I let an awkward amount of time pass until like later on in the day. I was like, hey, man, I feel like I should clarify the tattoo doesn't say white power. I just uh, I don't know why I did that. That's how I remember meeting Mitch and Joshua. Interesting. And well, in, in that world, you know, the, the banter and aggravating and messing with people, that's, you know, the, I mean, the very first class I taught for, for, the, for those guys was, uh, you know, my, I had a PowerPoint and my name is, you know, Rich Harden. So the one guy was sitting there and goes, so, so Dick Hardon, what, what is this? You know, that's something that I've heard for, you know, 40 some years. And, you know, he didn't know I was the instructor. And I said, well, you know, not everybody makes it through the course. You know, <laughs> and, and time will tell whether you make it or not. So, yeah, I'm after, sure that's not the first time you've heard that. Oh, no, no, no. And it was not a new, new uh, joke, but still get it's, it still doesn't get out. It's pretty funny. My parents hate it. Yeah. That's her. <laughs> I remember their dogs. We were talking about dogs that would not cooperate. Is uh, there was a dog named Rook. It was a Dutch <laughs> Shepherd. Yeah. And given Rook his vaccines was like just a shit show. Every he had to get them every year, some every six months. So it'd basically be be like two Navy SEALs trying to manhandle this dog, not very effectively, might I add. Well, I'm <laughs> blindly trying to jab like four needles in the dog, not hit any hit any of the dudes. And with Rook, it was, you know, you're supposed to give a vaccine in each leg. Each leg is a different vaccine location to track reactions, all that stuff. Rook got his vaccines wherever I could get a needle under his skin. It was, because you know, even sedating him, you have to give him a needle. So, mm. yeah, um, I've got a dog at home that's very uncooperative like that. Well, well, Rook was the type of dog that you just put behind the glass and it says, break glass in time of war. Uh, yeah, he was. That, that's the dog you send. He, that's a, he was a stud for that, for sure. I remember the last handler I knew he had, I think his name was Ben. Ben was a massive dude. But he's, I remember he started exercising the crap out of Rook, and he was a much calmer dog the last time I saw him many, many years ago. But for a while there, yeah. I think he used to wake up growling. <laughs> He'd be napping or sleeping, and you'd hear him start growling and barking and just be him waking up. It's not like Howard. Yeah. yeah. So you've got a course coming up in Ohio. Where to next? Do you have any, you have starting to look at your calendar for 2023? Yeah, I get pretty busy because also I want to start going back to school in the spring. I don't plan on doing this forever as well as, you know, the whole, I still want to do more stuff, not just, just teach stuff. So but I, like New York in January, back to Washington in February, Spokane, potentially Seattle. March is, uh, South Carolina and Texas. Wow. And then April is community college and law enforcement academy in North Carolina. I think April or May is blue line again. May or June will be, uh, I believe we'll be teaching the Army Canine Symposium again. And then AT Canine A in September. 
And then I'll be going to Africa in November to teach a bunch of uh, anti-poaching rangers, ranger handlers with the Canine Ranger Project. Wow. Nice. Well, those guys are out there in the middle of nowhere, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they do a lot with very little. I mean, it's kind of like, here's a dog, here's a an AK, and go live out in the bush and stop stop poaching. But I learned a fact being part of this project from uh, the person who organized it. Uh, she's a... Uh, police handler in Canada, uh, Hannah. So that's uh, anti-poaching efforts. Maybe misquoting this, but it's like sixty percent more effective uh, with the use of canines. Wow! Nice. For tracking and even just uh, identifying, uh, you know, some of them track to bad guys, some of them track to that sort of species that they're trying to locate and protect as well. Oh, very cool. Very. So, cool. in terms of your returning to school, what are, what are you interested in? Oh, I started. Actually, actually, that was the meeting I had before that uh, voc rehab, or they call it like BRD now to the VA. Yeah. So you're supposed to use v, the voc rehab before your GI Bill. And so I, there's a community uh, or San Juan College from my Army experience will give me like half a degree for like the veterinary technician mm-hmm. associate's degree to get licensed. So I'm probably going to try to finish that up because I only mm-hmm. have uh, like 10 classes to take, I think, 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. So finish that up next year. And then after that, I go finish my bachelor's degree. Oh, cool. And then see what happens. Maybe go to vet school. I don't know. Wow. See what happens. That's industrious. There's some good vet schools here in North Carolina, that's for sure. Yeah, NC State. Uh, I've been in great school. Their OSU is here as well. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch. Well, Evan, if, if, if folks are interested in, in learning more about you or taking one of your classes, where do they find you and, and how do they get in touch with you? I, on, uh, I've got a website now www.paravetcanine.com and then if you uh, have an Instagram or on there it's at denmother underscore canine where I haven't posted as much stuff as I had in the past but maybe with the new year I try to post kind of infographics try to like you were talking about I'll film a video I just really don't want to edit it to make it look good but you know like some of those videos of how to how to do some treat your dog outside of going and getting training very cool well, I noticed behind you, someone's been getting up a few times. Who, who do you got behind you there? I know our Eris. Who is it? Eris. Her name's Eris. She's, uh, she's my dog. She's 12. Because uh, you had Adam on the uh, Adam. I listened to Adam's episode, Franklin. Yes. Um, so she's actually, I forgot how, but if you remember Abby, uh-huh. Abby might have been yes. Jeff's dog. Um, so Eris is related to, to Abby. Nice. Well, we actually had a police dog that was related to Abby as well. Really? Yeah, well, Tessa. She was dynamic. Really nice dog. And they were dog. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, those are those are nice pups for sure. She's a nice dog. Well, we yeah. have any more questions? You, any, you wanna tell us any, anything else, Evan, that's going on or what you might think is important? I think the only the one thing in my classes, I always say if you take away anything from this class is have a first aid kit. Law enforcement in particular, have your first aid kit on you, not just in your vehicle, not on your glove box. Uh, even if you're just parked on the curb, you, know, you and your canine partner can lose a lot of blood from the living room to back out outside the house. So carry your first aid kit on you. Don't leave it in your glove box. Good deal. Good advice. Good advice. And have a happy new year. Hope you guys, you guys have any big new year's plans? No, not really. I don't. How about you, Rich? Actually, my wife and I were going to have dinner with another couple, another retired police officer and his wife on uh, New Year's Eve, but we're, uh, we're having it at 4, 4 p.m., so early New Year's Eve for us. But yes, that's that's our plan, just just a nice dinner. Man, that's old people stuff. Yeah, yeah it is, it is. 
It, uh, just to let you know, it was not hard to get a reservation at four. Just on that. <laughs> All right, Evan, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you, guys. And Evan, it was very nice to meet you, man. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. You as well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll see you in a few months, probably. Yeah, sounds good. You want a blue line again? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I'll see you there. I'll be there with Paul. All right. Good deal. Take care. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, that was an interesting conversation with Evan Nolte. I think uh guy's got a lot of knowledge, a lot of real-world experience. Really, really a cool conversation for me. Something I know very little about personally, and I, I need to be better at it myself. So it's a great conversation. Yeah, Evan's a good guy for sure. Seems like a very nice guy. Really nice guy. Yep. Well, tonight, Howard has picked for the bourbon tasting Wild Turkey 101. And yeah. I, I personally feel, as a bourbon guy, that this is one bourbon that everybody should have on their bar. It's I would agree. It is, it is by far the most popular budget bourbon. Oh, for, that? for the price that you can get Wild Turkey at, you cannot beat it for your bar. It's uh, 101 proof. It's got a little bit of heat to it, but still a, a, a very flavorful bourbon. You know that I am. You are an old-fashioned guy. I am not an old-fashioned guy. Yeah, uh, it's good for mixing old fashions for sure. It, it really is because I think a lot of the lower-proof bourbons get lost when you start making, you know, old fashions. Right. I love them. And so I, I was looking on the internet, and it was someone asked the question, "What's the difference between wild turkey and 101?" And basically, the only difference is the amount of water they put into. To basically lower the the proof. Proof. That's right. That's right. It's very tasty. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. And you can find it anywhere. Well, it's a good bourbon to have on your bar. If you don't have it, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. I typically buy the big bottle. Yes, sir. Yeah. I have one of those as well. All right. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, as always, here's to yeah. the hair of the dog that bitcha. Enjoy. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much, you guys, for following along, supporting us, and listening to these wonderful conversations that Howard and I are just blessed to have each and every day. We'd like to thank and support all of our first responders, police, fire, EMS, and our military for once again holding the line, keeping us safe. Stay safe, brothers and sisters. We love you. God bless, and God bless America.